This path of the Sof, the Saluk, is not related to call, it's related to hall. It's not related to explanations and statements, but it's rather related to experiences. So the Sof and Saluk is better understood on hal, not on call. Now it's a famous event that Mulana Rumabatulani was a very big alim of Deen. Once there was a fountain in which people made wudu and he was teaching children. Some said to Brahma, he came up to this point, Malana Room was just an alim, just teaching people ilm. And he thought this is some fakir, some mendicant, some person who is intoxicated with Allah SWT has shown up. So some Sittabrais asked him that Malana, what is this? So Malana Rumi said, that this is a book and Shamsat Abrez took the book and threw it in the fountain in which people make wudu and in that day you know people the books that people had were hand copied with ink and if you put it in water then the water would fade away the ink and you lost the book so Manarum said Shamsat Abrez what did you do? so Shamsat Abrez then put his hand into the fountain and then took the book out and then he he sort of dusted the book off and as if it was as if it was dry and dust started coming off the book and then Malan Rum said that, what is this and then Samsat Tabri said this is Hal so when he asked Malan Rum what is this Malan said this is Kal and then when he took the book out he said this is Hal after this Malan Rum became the student of Samsat Tabri so this path of ours, this is the path of Kaul. This is not the path of Kaul, this is the path of Hal. But the Sof is not about talking and speaking and making statements and explanations of the Sof. But rather, it is about developing a feeling and experience. It's about developing experience in your heart. And the Salik, the seeker of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his focus and attention is in one place, one direction, and that is on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. The Tanvin Abdullah. Where's Rayhan? It's not here. Can you tell somebody there to put the mic closer to us? If you raise the mic, Shaykh Ashrafati Tanvi Abdullah in his Khanka and Tanabhavan once two ulama came to spend some time with him. After they graduated from the Madrasa they thought that we will go and spend some time with Shaykh Ashrafati Tanvi so they got a room in his Khanka and after the time of Isha that normally after Isha people were quiet anyway but because these two were recent graduates of the Madrasa they started discussing some fine intellectual points with one another so the person who was the attendant of the Khanka he told them 
that look, the rules of the Khanqah are that you're not allowed to speak a single word after the Khanqah, after Isha. So you were guests, so you didn't know the rule. But now you've been informed that you cannot say anything after Isha. You cannot speak after Isha. So he told them and then he went away. And now those two graduates thought that we were talking about ilm of deen. We were engaged in an intellectual discussion about deen. We weren't talking about something idle or of this world. So then they resumed talking. And then when they resumed talking, they started getting into the heat of the discussion. And then the volume went up. So then what happened? Then the supervisor of the Khanka he came over and he told them, so if you ever if we hear your voice again, then we're going to take your bands and put them on the top of your head, and we're going to escort you out of the Khanka. We're going to wrap up your bands and we're going to put them on top of your head, and we're going right now in the middle of the night. And don't doesn't matter that how late it is. We're going to escort you out of the Khanka. Then the two of them realized that okay, that there are certain adab of a khanka, there are certain rules, and these two young men, they get they ended up becoming the khulafa of Sheikh They became Mufti Muhammad Shafi Ramtalay, who was the Mufti in Pakistan, and they become Malana Muhammad Yusuf bin Uri founders of Darlum Karachi and founders of Jamia Islamia bin Town. And there was once a young man and in the beginning he got the Skalbi Zikr. And there were two of them. And whatever people used to say, he would listen to it. The brother would tell him that, look, you don't talk back to us. Whatever we say, you just listen to us. The people say all types of things to you and you remain silent. And it seems to us that when we talk to you, you don't, you're going to do istikhara before you give an answer. Because you were so silent, it seems that you were waiting that maybe you're going to go to istikhara and then reply to us. That's how silent he become. So that's why the person who does zikr of the heart, they become silent. Going back to our topic, one is the path of qal and one is the path of hal. Qal means speaking and hal means a feeling. So when a person is in the path of hal, they must listen. And they're just listening and they're in their own world listening to the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So today in this gathering, in our Sulsana there are certain terms, istilahat, that are used by our mashaykh. So we want to explain these terms to you tonight. Our mashaykh have said, that there is one word called salik and there is another word called majzub. Salik is from the verbal form suluk which means a path. So it means a traveler on the path. A traveler on the path. And majzub comes from jazma. It means a passion, passion feeling. So every person is either a salik majzub or is a majzub salik. Every person is either a salik majzub or a majzub salik. Every person is either a salik majzub or a majzub salik. Everybody's hal or situation is different. There will be some who according to their own wish and their pleasure and their yearning they travel the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they make effort and they make sacrifices and they spend their time and they expend their effort so much so that then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends His mercy on them and Allah ta'ala then Himself starts dragging them close to Him bringing them closer to Him so first they were going towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the basis of their own effort and that stage of their life they were called salik and then when Allah ta'ala's mercy started itself drawing them closer they were called majzub that then they were attracted by the feeling of Allah they were attracted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so such a person is called salik majzub the first they try to reach Allah and then Allah brings them closer then there's a second type of person who has fallen to a pace of ghaflat like Bishr Hafi, Malik Mindanar in their original period of life they were drinking alcohol they were completely distant from Allah 
But all of a sudden, Allah Ta'ala's gaze of mercy falls upon them. So when Allah Ta'ala's gaze of mercy falls upon them, then He starts pulling them towards Him. So then they are first mudzub, that they were first attracted towards Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, that Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala attracted them towards Him. Then when in their heart they felt the mercy of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala and the manifest of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, then they try on their own to make their effort that they want to make themselves even more pleasing to Allah. And then they also start expending effort. So they are called Madzub Salak, that they were first Madzub and then they were Salak. So there are some people who are Salak Madzub. And then there's some other people who are madzub salik. So there are these two words. One is called jazba and one is called saluk. When a person starts traveling this path of Islamic spirituality, then there are two arenas of his effort. One arena is his effort in his own self that you have to reflect on your own self and work on your own self. And then the second effort is related to the outside world. So the world inside is called afaq. Oh, sorry, the world outside is called afaq and the world inside is called anfus. So the mashaykh then have given names to this, seyri anfusi and seyri afaqi. That part of the spiritual journey that is re- related to working on your own self, that is called Sayyidah Anfusi. And that part of the spiritual journey that is related to working on the outer things that are external to you, that is called Sayyidah Afaqi. So what does it mean, the Sayyidah of the Anfus? It means that traveling within your own self. And Sayyidah Afaqi means that traveling in the outside universe. So these are also two terms that are Mashaik have used. And there are two types of Latifa. There are some that are Alame Amr, and there are some that are from the Alame Khalk. Kalmru, Sir Khafi, Akfa. These five Lataif are from the Alame Amr, from the world of the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, created from Kunfi Yakum. And then sixth and seventh Latifa, Latifa Nafs, and Latifa Qalib. These are from Alam al-Khalq, things that are part of the physical, gradual creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now in the other sustans of tasawwuf, they begin with nafs. They begin with working on the nafs, that the nafs should be um, trimmed, we should eat less, we should drink less, we should sleep less, we should meet less people, we should interact less with people. If the nafs ever wanted something like cold water, don't give it to the nafs. I won't give you cold water to drink. You make me, you try to attract me to sin. You try to make me disobey to Allah. So they're standing in the heat. They said, oh, nafs wants me to stand in the shade. Oh, my nafs, I won't stand in the shade. Every desire of the nafs, they break it. So they keep breaking it, keep breaking it, breaking it until they completely weaken their nafs. So the early people of the Sahib called the Mataqaddimim, they used to follow this path. So therefore you would see that once they heard that somebody was selling fish kebabs and they wanted to have it, so then they would tell their nafs, oh nafs, I will never give you fish. For five years I will never give you fish. So they would go against their wishes of their nafs. And when they used to eat, they even used to make a mock bread made of wood. And they used to chew that wood and say, Oh my nafs, you want food? I will make you eat wood if, if that's what you want. So they used to view their nafs as their enemy and they used to try to break their nafs. They used to do all of these things against the wishes of the nafs in order to break nafs. And that's how they traveled their journey towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now where is the Latifa of Nafs? The Nafs is from Alam al And this is what is called Sayyidi Al-Faqi. Because the Khalq is the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that path in which starts with working on the Nafs is known as Sayyidi Al-Faqi. And because our Mashaykh began their journey on the Qalb, and because Qalb is from the Latifa of Alam al-Amr, and this is called Sayyidi Anfusi. Because the Qalb is inside of ourselves. 
So Sayyid Al-Faqi is called Saluk and Sayyid Al-Fasi is also called Jazba. And for this reason, that those of our Mashaikh, of the early Mashaikh, of the early Sislas, they used to begin with Sayyid Al-Faqi and they would end at Sayyid Al-Fasi. And in our Sisla, we begin with Sayyid Al-Fasi. So that is why our Mashaikh used to say in the Raj Nahaya Fil Bidaya that we include their end in our beginning because they began with Sayyid Al-Faqi and ended on Sayyid Al-Fasi. So they're ending with Sayyid Al-Fasi and our beginning is Sayyid Al-Fasi. So their ending was where was our beginning because they used to first work on the nafs and then on the kalb. It doesn't mean doesn't mean that our it doesn't mean that their kamalin, those perfect oliya of the other salsalas are equal to the beginners on the salsala. It's not talking about people, it's talking about the point and the structure of the journey. So let's say somebody can walk from right to left at their home, somebody can walk from left to right at their home. So in terms of the structure of the journey of the Sawwuf, the early Sislas began on Sarah Al-Faqi and ended at Sarah Al-Fusi. And in our Sisla, which was the later Sisla, we began our journey at Sarah Al-Fusi. So the end of their end point of their journey was the beginning point of our journey. So they began their spiritual journey on the Afaq and ended on the Al-Fus. And in our Sisla, we began the spiritual journey towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the Al-Fus. And the, the journey of Afaq is subsumed under that automatically. We don't have to dedicate separate, discrete, distinct effort to that. Why? Because if the Kalb is made pure, then the Nafs is automatically made pure. We don't have to give a special dedicated effort to the Nafs. And the proof of this is the Hadith of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. In, in the body of every son of Adam, there is, a, there is an organ. And if it is sound, the whole body is sound. And if it is corrupt, the whole body is corrupt. And know that that is the Kalb. So the hadith is establishing that if the kalb is made pure and sound, then the nafs will automatically be made pure and sound. So that's what Muna Amishayik said, that when you do say the anfasi, i.e. when you work on the kalb, then automatically the nafs is fixed, automatically say the afaq is done, that is established by hadith of the Prophet so our Mashaikh begin their journey from the Sayyidah Al-Fusi. So we should understand that the early Sislas used to begin from Sayyidah Al-Faqi and then hit Sayyidah Al-Fusi. And then for the rest of their life they used to work on the Sayyidah Al-Fusi. And our Mashaikh started us already ahead on the path and started us on Sayyidah Al-Fusi. And we spent our whole life working on the Sayyidah Al-Fusi. And the Sayyidah Al-Faqi is automatically subsumed under that. And this is what they call in Persian Indiraj and Nihayaf and Bidaya, or in Arabic as well, that they be subsumed the ending in their ending in our beginning. So Alhamdulillah. That all the different mujahidat and efforts that they used to make to break their nafs, the whole purpose of that was again also even that their kalb would become pure. So because even the nafs Purifying the nafs was to purify the kalb. And similarly, if you purify the kalb directly through muraqabah, it makes it easier. Rather than trying to purify the kalb by doing mujahid of the nafs, we purify the kalb directly by doing muraqabah and zikri kalbi. You can understand this by means of an example that if a person is sick, that you give, you take a medicine. So there are two ways of taking medicine. One is that you take a pill. And that pill will go into your stomach and then it will take some time for it to be digested and then the ingredients of that pill will go inside your bloodstream and then they will go in your different parts of the body and then when it's in your bloodstream then it will have started having an effect on you. And that's why whenever you take any pill or tablet, oftentimes doctors tell you that it's going to take about half an hour for the pill to have an effect. It's not that the second you swallow it, it has an effect on you. If you take a headache, the second you take a pill, your headache won't go away, but about half an hour later, your headache will go away. So it takes half an hour because by the time the pill goes in and it decomposes in your digestive system and enters the bloodstream and reaches that part of your body, that takes about half an hour. 
then it will have its effect. And then there's another way that has come now, and that is called the intravenous injection. That instead of taking a pill, you take an injection that goes straight into your bloodstream, and then that ingredient goes straight into your bloodstream, so then and there it has an effect. Within one minute, it has an immediate effect on a person. So they're both ways of getting a cure. One takes a bit more time, and one is a bit more is more instantaneous. So just like that, that path of doing the mujahada on the nafs, eventually you're still going to reach on the kalm, and one is to go direct straight to the kalm. So that is why the mashaykhan or salsala is akram and asal and anfa, that it is now closer and is more easy. And this wasn't a claim that our mashaykh made, it was a reality, because they've developed a method of the sawaf that went directly straight to the kalm. So there are two types of spiritual journeys. One is called Sayyid Al-Faqi, one is Sayyid Al-Fusi. Now we will read now some of the statements of the Mashaykh on this topic. This is from Maktubat Masumiya. And in one letter, Imam Khwaja Muhammad Masum has gathered a lot of these different terms and explained them. So we selected this, we will read this letter. First term is called Safar Darwatan. These are Persian terms. Safar Darwatan. What does it mean? Literally, it means it's journeying towards the homeland. So, what does it mean? The Salik, the traveler on the spiritual path, is always journeying towards their homeland. So, what meaning? One meaning of that is that our real homeland is what? Is the Akhira? Is the hereafter? Is Jannah? Our real homeland is what? Is Jannat. So we were came from there and we're just we're living here for a short period of time. And then when we leave this world we want to go back to our original home of Jannah. So that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Quran. That indeed this is that Jannah which you have been made the warath of, which you have been made mm, the inheritors of that Jannah. So who inherits you? Inherit something that was your entitlement and right of your father and forefather. So this was the the place of Sayyidina Adam He was our forefather. And we have inherited Jannah from him because we are the Bani Adam. And then Allah subhanahu wa tells him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm going to send you to earth for a short period of time. So this was just a test on this world, but we want to return back to Jannah. So we are Musafir, we are travelers in this world. And this world is just our temporary place of residence. It's not our real home. Our real home and permanent home is Jannah. And that is why the believer, that whenever they pass away, where will their rule go? Their rule will go straight back to Jannah. So our original residence, our real place of residence is the Akhirah, is the hereafter, is our Jannah. And that Ru came from the Alim Amr, it is temporarily living in the Alim Khalq, but its destination is back to the Alim Amr. So Safar Darwatan in Persian means then that the Salik, the travel on this path, should always think that I'm journeying towards my homeland. So what will happen then is that he won't get caught up in the difficulties of the world and he won't get caught up in the allure and attraction and beauty of the world. He won't be ensnared in the traps and pitfalls of this world. So you will see that that person, if somebody has parents and a spouse and children and then he goes to Saudi for a job, he doesn't waste the money he earns. He saves, he eats most simple food, eats a shawarma, spends two reals, and he saves all of his money because all the time he thinks that I'm going to go back to my homeland. I have to send the money to my homeland. Just like that, a mu'min views this whole life in this world like a temporary place of travel and all of the time they're journeying towards their homeland. So one meaning is this, that in this dunya we're not going to live here forever. Where are we going to live forever? In the Akhirah. And we're just traveling towards that ultimate end. And the second meaning is that we should work on our Kalb so that Latifa Kalb may leave its temporary home here in this world and it may return back to its Asli Makan. This is also called Sayyid. This is also 
the meaning of Sefer Darwatan. So Khaja Muhammad Nasrullah says, Sefer Darwatan means Sere Anfusi, which also means Jazba. So we've done these three terms already. And the Mashaik, they begin the journey of the seeker from this point. And Sere Al-Faqi is subsumed underneath the journey of Sere Anfusi. And in other senses, they began their journey from Sayyidina Afaki, i.e. by working on the nafs. And their end was at Sayyidina Anfusi, i.e. working on the kalb. And the special feature of the Naqshibani Sazla is that we begin our journey from Sayyidina Anfusi, i.e. from working on the kalb. And this is what it means to say, Indirajan Dhanaya Fil Bidaya, that Indirajan Nahaya Fil Bidaya, that we subsume their ending in our beginning. And Sayyidina Afaki means to work on that which is external and Sayyidina Anfusi means to work on oneself and on our kalb. So what is the home of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Well, Hadith said that that it comes in Hadith that all of the heavens and the earth cannot contain me but the kalb of a mu'min is where I reside. So where does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reside? It's inside of us, which is our own kalb, our spiritual heart. So we won't find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala outside in the Sayyidah Anfaqi, but we will discover Allah ta'ala inside in the Sayyidah Anfusi. So in our own Punjabi language, as they say, that, oh girl, why are you walking around like that? And whoever you are searching, he is already with you. Why are you wandering around searching for your lost forlorn lover when your lover is just by your side? So what it means, and Hazrat using that sentence, that Allah Ta'ala is not going to be found externally, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to be found inside our own spiritual heart, inside our kalb. So Sayyid Anfusi means that looking in our own self and looking in our kalb, and this is what the Mashaik in Persian have said. That you should not extend your hand to everything as if you were a blind person, but you should know that whatever it is that you're looking for is right under with, right with you underneath your blanket. As whatever you're searching for is right with you under you don't have to grope around like a blind person, but whatever you're looking for is right with you underneath your blanket. And exactly what Allah subhanahu wa said in Quran, Wafi Anfusikum. That indeed in your own selves do you not reflect, do not wonder, do not ponder. So the Qur'anic Kareem and the Ahadith are exactly from where our Mashaikh took out their understanding of the soul from Suluk. That we must reflect inside of ourselves. And this is called Safar Darbatan, journeying towards the homeland. And the second terminology that a Mashaikh used, that's called Khalwat Dar Anjuman. Anjuman talks about a gathering. Anjuman in Persian means a gathering. And Khalwat means solitude and isolation and seclusion. So what does it mean that while even when you're present in a gathering, you still enjoy the feelings of solitude and seclusion? And a person is sitting, the Salik is sitting in a gathering, but he's not really present. His heart is all thinking about Allah subhanahu wa His heart is somewhere else. His body may be physically present in the gathering, but his heart is somewhere else. That is the way a Salik is. That because all the time he is doing the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so even though when he is sitting in the gathering of friends, but while being in that gathering, is still actually thinking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone in his heart. So this is called Khalwat Dar Anjuman. In other words, Anjuman is a gathering, a place where people have all types of different ideas and different views and different directions. But their inner self is not affected by this tafarqa, is not ex- uh, affected by this multitude of dimensions of people around. But my heart is singularly remains singularly focused on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Just like imagine if a person is sitting in a glass room and then when he looks outside he can see that there's a windstorm and there's all types of, you know, dust is being kicked up and branches are falling down. So outside there's all types of turbulence. But inside he's sitting in a relaxed because he's in a sealed glass house. So just like that, that person who has the nisbat with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the condition of their heart, spiritual heart, kalb is exactly like this. That outside there's all types of discussion and rumors and bickering and all types of things going on in gatherings. But he is completely content because inside his heart he is thinking of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No matter how much tumult and discord and there may be around him in the gathering, he is still in seclusion in his heart thinking of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they are not a ghafil of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even for one moment. He was once telling, gathering lots of jokes and making a lot, everyone laugh. And then when everyone had laughed so hard that they're, that they're tired, then all of a sudden he became serious. And then he told them that, tell me friends, that in this one hour that you were laughing, how many of you were there who still kept their heart doing the zikr of Allah? Everybody was stunned and nobody had thought like that. And then he said about himself that even though I was telling jokes and I was making you laugh for one hour non-stop, but during the entire hour, not even for one second did my heart forget the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa This is called khalwat al-dar anjaman. That while outwardly you were in the gathering, but in reality inside your heart is completely solitude, solitarily focused on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have jamiyat, you are firmly established on your zikr, even if around you there are all types of things going on. So this is called khalwat dar anjaman. And outwardly it appears that I am walking in the bazaar, the marketplace, but in reality, in the heart, I am as if I am alone with my beloved Allah. In the beginning, a person has to do this with the kalluf, a person has to force himself to do it. They have to work on themselves to have khalwat the anjama. Means when they're sitting in a gathering, they have to keep dragging their attention back to Allah. And when they get distracted, again they have to refocus their attention on Allah. But when they practice this, and when they continue the spiritual journey, and when they reach fana, then they do this without the kalluf, without effort, automatically as a default position, their heart is always attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you can just imagine if a student fails an exam, and if he goes to any gathering and people are talking and he may seem like he's sitting in the gathering of friends, but inside he's thinking something else. His heart is somewhere else altogether. Because of his sorrow and then sadness that he passed, he failed his exam. And even people tell him, then, what's the matter with you? What are you thinking about? Where are you lost? You seem like you're lost in your thoughts. So just like that, the lovers of Allah SWT are lost in their thoughts of their beloved Allah, even if they are right in the middle of the storm of all of the worldly engagements and gatherings, still their heart is occupied with the zikr of their beloved Allah. And one poet said, that if, even if you are sitting in a gathering, you should still get the pleasures of being in solitude with your beloved. In order to acquire this, the Mashaikh have outlined a way, and this is one of, and also one of the special features of the Naqshibali Majadisul that even indeed the, the, the Salakin of the other Sansalas who have also spent time on their Tasawaf, they also get this. But in our Sansala, a person gets this in the beginning because you're taught to do Rukufakalmi. So the condition of Isalik on our path is that inside the
that apparently outwardly they seem like they're strangers, but inwardly their hearts are attached. So as I'll give an example, when they're secret lovers, so when they happen to sit with one another, they act as if they don't know one another, they act as if they're strangers, but inside they are really lovers. So when the person is sitting in the gathering, it appears outwardly that he's a stranger to Allah because he's sitting in the gathering of the world. But secretly inside, he's the secret lover of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his heart is attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, so the first term we did was Safar dar Watan and the second term we did was Khalwat dar Anjaman. The third term is called Khosh dar Dam. Dam means breath and hosh means being aware, awareness. So this is the opposite of ghaflat, opposite of being heedless. The person who has ghafil has no hosh and the person who is heedless is unaware and the person who has hosh is completely aware. Hosh dar dam, then what does it mean? It means that every single breath that a person takes Neither do they inhale, nor do they exhale, other than that even in such a small fraction of a second, they remain aware of Allah subhanahu wa They keep their hosh, they're always aware of Allah. When they inhale and when they exhale, all the time they're aware of Allah subhanahu wa they never become unaware. That's why our mashaykh used to say that that moment that we spent in a ghaflat, we feel as if we spent that in a state of kufr. So hosh dar dam means that each and every breath that we take is in the remembrance of Allah. No single breath is taken in a state of ghaflat. All the time our heart is focused on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Khaja Muhammad Masrudai writes about this, that the, what is intended by hosh dar dam is that a person should be aware of their breathing and they must tune the zikr of Allah Ta'ala to that breathing so they always remember Allah. This term, Hoshtardam, is the way that we dispel all of the turbulence in the world around us. So what happens is that a person also has turbulence inside, which is known as wasawis, or khawatir, they have stray thoughts, idle recollections, whisperings. So inside all of these things that are trying to diffuse our attention and focus, to disperse and scatter our awareness, in order to fight that and to make sure we remain and focused on our zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we do hosh dam, that we try that every single breath we take is taken in awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fourth term is called nazar bar kadam. Nazar bar kadam. It's a wonderful thing our Messiah have said. What one meaning of it, which is the outward meaning, is that the Salik, the traveler on this path of seeking Allah subhanahu wa should make it their habit that when they walk, they should lower their gaze and keep their gaze focused on their feet. Now when their feet, gaze is focused on their feet, then they will become less aware of the world. So that is the initial meaning of this, the outward meaning of this. And indeed, indeed, the believers are those who lower their gaze. But this is a simple meaning of it. And there's even a more deeper meaning to this term. And what is that? That is that who is the guide of our life? That is Sayyidina Rasulullah Muhammad al-Mustafa Ahmad al-Mustaba He is our guide. And we are his followers and we are walking in his footsteps and therefore the person who is walking behind the guide what do they do? they always look at the footsteps of their guide and they always try to follow in the footsteps of their guide so second meaning of Nazar Barakadah means in every single aspect of our life we should always keep our gaze focused on the footsteps of our guide whatever they did however they did it we want to do it exactly the same way this is called Nazar Barqadam. And we want to keep our gaze fixed on the 
gaze of how did the Prophet do it? What was the Sunnah way of doing it? Whether it's happiness, sadness, whether it's health, whether it's sickness, in whatever situation and condition we find ourselves in, how did Sayyidina Rasulullah behave in that situation and condition? One example of this is Hazrat Mullah Qasim So the British, they issued an order that he should be arrested and hanged. So the word spread and Hazrat Qasim found out about this. And the amazing thing was the policeman who came, he didn't recognize by face Hazrat Nanotwain. So Sheikh Nanotwain So he just came and the policeman just came and said that where is Qasim Nanotwain? So Hazrat understood that he's come to arrest me. But he gave, he had some wisdom. So Hazrat just kept talking to him. And then what he did is he talked to him and he moved a bit over to the right. I said, oh, Kasanatwe, he was just here a few minutes ago. And he went like that. So this was something that was factually true because he was standing there then he moved here and said that. But it, the, the policeman didn't understand. So he thought that he must be around somewhere. So then the police went off to start looking for him nearby. And then Mohakasanatwe, then he went away. And three days and three nights, he remained in hiding. And people were hopeful. People thought that he would not be able to show his face for months because an arrest warrant was issued. After three days and three nights, he started coming again. He came to the masjid for Jamaat. So they said that you've been, an order has been issued for your arrest and you should be hanged. You're supposed to be hanged. Why are you hiding? And he said, well, I reflected on the seerah of Sayyidina Rasulullah and in your whole life that you, the maximum you stayed in hiding was in the cave of Thor. You stayed in hiding for three days and three nights. So I've done amal on the sunnah. Now I'm back and if they want to catch me, they can hang me if they want. But I've done amal on the sunnah of the Nabi Akrim This is called Nazar Barqadah. Then every single act they want, we want to do, whatever Nabi Akrim that my guide and my prophet did. So what is the first meaning of Nazar Barqadam? That the Salak should physically lower his gaze and look at his own feet so he becomes less aware of the world. And the second meaning was what? That they should keep their gaze fixed on the footsteps of Sayyidina Rasulullah it means that whatever he did in whatever situation, we should pattern our and pattern and model our behavior after him. There's a third, even deeper meaning of this. There's a third meaning of Nazar Bukadam as well. And that third meaning has a Khaja Muhammad explained in his Maktub. He wrote that what does Nazar Barakadam mean? It means when a person is walking, number one, they should look at their own feet so that they can save themselves from looking at the uh, absurdities and profanities of this world and so they can remain focused on their zikr of Allah subhanahu ta'ala. Indeed, what did a person say? That where should I direct my gaze when all my heart wants is you and all my gaze wishes is all my gaze wishes is to look at you. So how can I direct my gaze to anything in this world? So this was the first meaning. The second meaning was that they should follow the sunnah should follow the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah in every single thing that they do. And Hazrat Abdullah Bhilvinamtale has written something about this as well. He said that once I traveled from Makkah Makarma to Madina Manawara and I went on that same path that Sayyidina Rasulullah used for Hijrah. He said that I was given such kash that wherever Nabi Karim Sallallahu put his blessed footsteps, I could see the nur of his footsteps, the traces of his footprints. So I just followed that nur and I just followed that same path going from Makkah Makarma to Madinah Manawra. Allah Akbar, Allah Subhanahu gives some people some gaze like that, that they can perceive such things. Then he saw that there were some places that I saw the whole valley was Manawa. So then I understood that Sayyidina Sosa must have paused over here, must have rested over here during the course of the journey. So then I also would stop and rest here during the course of the journey. So the Salak should, number one, make sure that they control and lower their gaze. And number two, that they should follow the Sunnah and everything. And the third meaning 
is that the spiritual journey that they're traveling, that they should keep their gaze on their feet. What does this mean? Yet when a person climbs stairs, a person doesn't look up at the last stair, a person looks at the stair that they're on and the one that is in front of them, where they're about to place their foot. So a person from far away may look up at the whole flight of stairs, but when they're actually climbing the stairs, they don't climb the stairs with their neck up, looking at the top stair and stepping on the first one. They look at the step they're on and they look at the next step. So just like that, this journey of the stages of the soul is like climbing a staircase. So you're going folk, you're climbing upwards. So when you're climbing upwards, you should look at your beginning point. Otherwise, your foot may slip somewhere on this journey. So Nazapargadam means that you should... You shouldn't claim that you have reached some status or that you're a Sufi. You shouldn't feel some ujub. You shouldn't have any conceit. You should always keep your gaze lowered and be humble during the course of this journey. Nazar bar qadam. It doesn't mean that I spent 10 days and wow, I'm a big Salik Sufi now. I've got the stamp of Zambia Takaf on me. So we shouldn't think like that. We should remember our humble origins and remember who we are. This is Nazar bar qadam. And this is again to save us from what we call the afaqi tafarqa, which means that all of the different distractions around, to protect us from that we do nazarbakadam. And to protect us from the inner distractions in our thoughts and whisperings, for that was hoshtardam. So we did what so far? Safar darwadan. Number two, halwat dar anjuman. Number three, we did hoshtardam which was related to Ser Anfasi and number four was Nazar Barqadam to save us from the distractions of the Afaq. Now, Hazrat Khaja Baki Bilal Amtale said a very amazing thing and that's a little bit different from what we were discussing but it's at the same time also related and one place he has written that on this path that we have Allah Akbar. We have to go from Qadam to Kidam. We have to go now an average person as he says like an average as I am saying so I'm just translating an average person like myself would not be able to understand this. Qadam means this Nazarbar Qadam that we just discussed that this is the beginning this is the Ibtida and Kidam means something else altogether Kidam means that Imam Anubani Mujadfasanat has written that the Salik, the traveler, when he does these spiritual journeys, then he first starts in Tajaliyat of Aliyah. Tajaliyat of Aliyah, that they're then next step is there are eight sifat which are known as the sifat of subutiya Allah ta'ala's ilm his haya his sama his basar his kalam his takdeer and according to the asharis there are seven and according to the maturidis which is the akidah that we believe in there are eight so other than these eight the other sifat of Allah subhanahu ta'ala are Sifat of the Af'al. So from the 99 Asma Husna, 98 are Sifat of Subutiya, and the other 91 fall under the Af'aliya. So the Sayr that a person does by understanding these Asma Husna, Allah so the first 91 names are understood in the Tajaliyat al-Aliyah. That is why in the 11th Sabak of our Sasana, which is Tajaliyat al-Aliyah, before all of this is a groundwork before that. Just like you can say when people paint, they don't just put cement and they just put the paint. First they make a groundwork and they, and they call it base coating. And then the more, the better the base coating is, the better the final coat will look. So just like that in our salsa, the first ten lessons are the base coating of our, of our building, of our foundation. And that's why the more time you spend on the first ten lessons is better, and the more effort you put in them, then the base coat will be better. But the real coating starts on the kalb from the eleventh lesson onward.
And that's where the real asal pain starts coming. And that is the tajaliyata of aliyah. And these are called the asbaq of musharabat, which start with the tajaliyata of aliyah. And the tajaliyat of aliyah journey comes first. Then after that come the sifat. After that come the sifat. And then after the sifat comes the zat. So first afal, then sifat. Then after the sifat, then comes the shiyunat. Then after shiyunat comes the zat. What is shiyunat? So one thing, as an example, we will give, just so that we can understand with more ease, and so that the young men understand these examples easily. So one is a woman, and that's her zat. That she herself is her zat. And second are her sifat, which are her attributes, that so she comes from a good family, that she is educated, that she is good manager of the household affairs, that she is very loyal, that she is very obedient, that she is very religious. All of these are what? Her sifat. So one was her herself, that was her zat, and the second was her sifat. Now, one sifat is also husn, beauty, that she is beautiful. Do we understand that what is zat and what is sifat, the difference between zat and sifat? So one is her herself, and the second was her attributes. So one of her attributes, for example, is beauty. And then there's a third thing, which are called shuyunat. This is the plural of sha'an. And in Urdu, it's called nakhra. And not every woman has this. Like those... Those women who are extremely beautiful and they have a particular way in which they carry themselves, a particular mannerism in which they hold themselves, a particular way in they display and carry their beauty, and the way they look and the way they talk and every gesture of theirs. So that in Urdu is called Nakhra. So in Arabic that is called Sha'an. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has his zat, then Allah ta'ala has sifat, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has shuyunat. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has many, many sha'ans. Shuyunat is a plural of sha'an. What does it mean? So Azad is giving that example that when there's a bride, so the bride doesn't wear the same clothes all week long. And the first day, sometimes she even wears two clothes in a day. She's got the dress she wears in the morning, then in the evening she wears another dress. Sometimes she wears her hair like this, sometimes she braids it on the side, sometimes she lets it loose and fall over her shoulders. So when she is wearing new clothing and different makeup and different hairstyle, what is she doing? She is mm, manifesting her beauty in a new way. Why? Because then my husband will be even more and more. She has a singular beauty, but if I manifest it and display it in a different style and mannerism, then my husband will be more and more attracted to me in the more and more ways I display my beauty, and the more and more mannerisms in which I reflect my beauty. So that woman, then every day she comes in new makeup and new beauty, so that, mm, so that the husband can have a new mm, new type of love for me. So just like that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has his jamal, his beauty. And then on that jamal, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his jamal is a sifat. And that jamal has a shan. And, Allah, and that shan changes every day. Allah that every day he manifests himself in a new shan. So just like that, when the bride appears in a new way every day, the groom has a new love for every day. That's why those lovers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if you were to give them a lifetime of a hundred thousand years, they would never tire of the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? But because every single day Allah ta'ala manifests His love to them in a different way, and then the lover has a new love for Allah ta'ala every day. So one is zat, second is sifat, third is shan. The plural of that is shuyunat. So first a person does sair in the af'al, and then sifat, then shuyunat, and then zat.
So these lessons of zikr is which a person traverses all of these stages on the spiritual path. But Imam al-Bani Muzaffasana has written this in the that when we start with the Af'al, I got Uruj, I got closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then I started traveling through the stages of Sifat, then I got even closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then I started traveling the stages of Sunat, and I got closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then I started traveling the stages of Zat. So he said when I crossed the stages of Sifat and went further, then I saw that Azal and Abad are together. What does it mean that time stops? Azal means pre-eternity and Abad means eternity. So I saw that pre-eternity and eternity came together. I reached the state when after you cross the Sifat, then you experience the timelessness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Qadim. That He has always existed. He has never been preceded by non-existence, nor will He ever be non-existent. So I saw pre-eternity and eternity joined. And that was an even greater phenomenon. So Imam Anubhanta said that from Qadim they took the word Qadim. So Nazar bar Qadim, you begin your journey by looking at your footstep, but you will end on Qadim. You will end at such a state where you can understand the timelessness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then all of the attribute, all of the veils of the attributes will fall down and you will be able to witness the Zat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His timeless glory. So you start with Nazar Barqadam and you will end on Nazar Barqadam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us also to get that wasl, to reach that same Zat. Then Khwaja Khwaja Muhammad continued Yad Gar and Yad Dast These are similar synonyms you can think Yad Dast means that inside a person they should have so much remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so much awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that without any effort they are able to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Without any effort, they're able to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we can understand by means of example that for other things, normally we have to strive. But if you see when we breathe, we don't, we don't make effort to breathe. We breathe effortlessly. Without concentration, without deliberation, without effort. We're breathing automatically, unconsciously almost. So that's what it means. That just like a person takes, breathes automatically without effort, without deliberation, without concentration, just like that a person gets such a level of zikr of Allah subhanahu in their heart, that in any situation, condition they may be, still their heart is focused on the remembrance of Allah subhanahu This is called the station of Yad Dast. And this is the final stage of the Salaf and Salaf. And this is the goal of Salaf. That we want to reach the maqam or the station of Yad Das. We want to, we don't want miracles. We're not after miracles. We're not after any looking at colors. We're not trying to do things that are extraordinary or contrary to the norm. Nor are we trying to get every dua of ours accepted as we, as we mention it. Nor are we trying to gain victory over the enemy. The purpose and goal of the self is that a person should make such an effort on their heart and on their self, such that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's zikr is so embedded in their heart that whatever condition and situation they may be in, they never, they can never stop remembering Allah. Just like a person is always breathing, non-stop breathing. And breathing never stops. Just like that, their zikr should never stop. And even when they sleep, they're still breathing. Just like that, this person, when they sleep, they're still doing zikr. If they're playing, talking with people, they're still breathing. Just like that, this person, if he's playing, talking with people, he's still doing zikr. That this is called Yad Das, that a person's zikr of Allah subhanahu becomes as permanent a feature and as inseparable an attribute of his, like his breathing. And however many years a person may be given life, they will not be able to forget Allah subhanahu Just like we would not be able to stop breathing. That's how permanently the zikr of Allah subhanahu becomes embedded in their heart. So this is called Yad Dast. So Khajamam Masrum writes about it that in the beginning in the beginning of the stages of Tariqah 
he is in a state of takalluf, he is having to keep forcing himself to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then that is called Yadgasht, and when he becomes automatic, it is called Yadgasht. And when they get perpetual and permanent awareness and remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and gets an expertise on this, so much so that even if he tried to stop remembering Allah, he wouldn't be able to do it, that is called Yaddasht. You must have experienced this in your life, that there are some things that you want to forget them, but you're not able to forget them. You even try to forget them. And you even say, that, I don't know, what's, why is it that I can't forget this? Just like that, that you have about some matter in your life that you're unable to forget it, just like that a person who reaches the end of Saluk is such that even if he wants to forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is unable to forget Allah. And this is this is the way that the, the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala comes into the heart. And this is what Imam Majal al has mentioned an incident in his maktub about Abdullah Sakhri. And he says that about him he reached the maqam of fanaiyat. He was completely absorbed in Allah subhanahu ta'ala. And a person then their heart enjoys the zikr of Allah subhanahu ta'ala. But it becomes difficult on the body. They're not able to sleep fully. They're always awake due to their zikr. And then their body gets very, very tired. Because the body has its own needs. The body needs its sleep. So the ruh is enjoying. But the body is mm, suffering. The body is, in, the body is getting less than what it needs. So then he thought that, okay, if I get some small period of time, let me try to rest. So he wanted to sleep, but he couldn't do it. So then what he did, that there was a neighbor that he had, and he had gone out hunting. He had gone to hunt, because in those days, people had trained dogs to hunt, for example, rabbits. So the dogs would grab the rabbits, and this has also been mentioned in Quran how to hunt with the hunting animals. So Abdullah Astaghfir went with the, his neighbor who was hunting with the intention that okay, if I go with him on a hunt, then you know, I'll get busy in the hunt and you know, that's a worldly activity and then at least one drop of ghaflat will come in and then I'll be able to go to sleep. So he spent, said, I spent all day hunting with that fellow and then even one second I wasn't able to be ghafl of Allah. So then he came back, and then when he came back, he made dua to Allah and said, Ya Allah, that, Ya Allah, forgive, Ya Allah, forgive the sins, forgive all the sins of that person who can make me ghafal of you for just one second. That he was, who find that person and he's thinking that forgive the sins of that person who can make me ghafal of you just for one second. It was so badly he wanted to be ghafal so he could go to sleep. Allah Akbar. So the poet said that even if you were, even if you wanted to forget, you would not be able to forget. Another poet said that every day I promise myself that I'm going to forget you. Every day I promise myself that I'm going to forget you. And every day I forget my promise. So Yadast means that Salik reaches the state and level that the remembrance of Allah subhanahu is so firmly embedded in their qalb, in their spiritual heart, that just like the sustenance of their body is through perpetually breathing, breathing, the sense of his ruh is through his perpetual zikr. Imagine how joyful it would be to reach such a state. That in this world, that a person could make effort on themselves and reach this state, that not they could never be unaware of Allah for even the fraction of a second. And this is what comes in the hadith that those people who remember Allah Ta'ala, and we did this this morning, that that person who remembers Allah Ta'ala in the gathering of ghafilin, there's so many virtues, so many merits, so many rewards. To imagine that he's getting all those fazail also, all of those virtues and merits and rewards. You can imagine what state that person will be. And the beginning is called yad kard, that you make yourself remember Allah. And then when you reach the end and you have kamil fana, it's called yad dast, and when you're automatically remembering Allah subhanahu and after a person reaches yad dast, and it is not even possible for them to ever forget Allah subhanahu 
So this can be called a point of no return. The Arbashayk explained in Arabic, Al-Fani la yurad, that the person who attains the state of Fana, he never returns back. The person who attains Fana, that's called Fani, he never returns back. Now a person will think that, no, how is that possible? Why can't he return? So as he says, I can explain to you this way, that just like when there is a fruit, when it becomes ripe, once it becomes ripe, can it ever become unripe? When a man attains puberty, can he ever go back and become a boy, prepubescent? No. Then he cannot lose his puberty after having attained it. So just like that, Al-Fani la yurad, just like that, just like a ripe fruit cannot become unripe, just like the pubescent man cannot go back and become prepubescent, just like that the person who is ripened in their zikr can never become unripe in their zikr. This is Al-Fani la yurad, that the person who attains fana cannot return. And to make ourselves reach this point, this is the need and necessity of our time. Why? Because when a person reaches that stage, then a person becomes amongst those servants and slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah ta'ala said that inna abadi laith to shaita shaitan, that indeed my ibad, you have no authority over them, no warrant over them, you will have no control over them, you will have no ability to delude them and distract them from me. So when can we reach that state that shaitan has no power over us, that shaitan cannot distract us from Allah ta'ala at all? That will happen only when we are permanently established on the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this would be such a joyous occasion when a person reaches this maqam. And this is something that is worth striving for, and this is an effort that is worth making.